we got another day of NBA action. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. Lucas Glover, two weeks ago, fighting for his PGA Tour status. Now, the hottest player in golf, fourth in the FedEx Cup, and maybe, just maybe, a U.S. Ryder Cupper. We'll get into all that, as well as everything else from Rex's week in Memphis. Plus, we'll dive into the explosive allegations regarding Phil Mickelson, what it means for his legacy, and what, if anything, should be done about it. Rex, you're back home from Memphis uh, so much to get to this week. We're actually recording this a day early. I'm off to the BMW Olympia Fields on Tuesday. First of all, how much weight did you gain while you were in Tennessee? Your your face is looking its typical gaunt. Uh, is it? Because I feel like uh, I did not touch all the bases. I knew you were going to lecture me, so I'll go ahead and get to this while we're at it. I, I, I managed to go to three of the six restaurants you gave me. And the number I came to this morning when I thought that through on the plane was, I mean, I batted 500. That should get me in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. So, Hall, Hall right. of Fame career. That's right. Uh, so I ate Rendezvous. I ate uh, the Germantown Commissary. And I ate Gus's Fried Chicken uh, oh, four nights in a row. come on. No four nights in a row. Four nights in a row, I ate at Gus's Fried Chicken. It was literally walking distance from my hotel. It could not be easier. The people were so nice, and the chicken was delicious. Of all the places to make an effort, I literally outlined the hours of operation and what you should order. What could have been easier than this? The barbecue shop is inexcusable, given the fact that you could have ordered ahead and picked up. Uh, Yeah, that's true. It was like 30 minutes away, though. So by the time I got done working, I think it was Thursday night was my first night free. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I I was done. And 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 football was on preseason football, but football. So I I was kind of motivated to get back to my room and turn the TV on and relax. However, I feel like 500 is is I did a good job. Never mind. Never mind the fact that I spent an hour, an hour meticulously researching, planning, mapping it out. Uh, also, you could hit just three of six stops. I was thinking about it the other day. I, I desperately want to get Memphis back on my personal schedule, not because I, I think it's a great tournament, and obviously it is, and you know, you know the, the impact they make in the local community, the St. Jude uh, Children's Hospital. If you guys have never visited that, uh, I think that'll change your life if you actually do. But just the fact that this is one of the great food cities in all the world and doing so on an expense account, it just feels ridiculous. However, it just does not fall in a good spot for us. Next year, we have the Olympics. That's going to be a time crunch, getting back from that and then heading to the playoff opener. So 2025, I think, is going to be my first crack at it. And God, who, who knows what the industry is going to look like by then. Uh, that was dark and maudlin and a turn we didn't need to take. I will say, though, there's a restaurant across the street from Germantown Commissary, and folks from Memphis will know this immediately. It was called Southern Social. And I did nope. go there one night with a nope. colleague of ours. Nope, uh, nope, and nope. it was 
No, no, it was fantastic. Look it up right now. Look at the menu. It was all the things that you and I would absolutely love. I've, a lot looked, of I've looked it up. I've experienced it. Just because it's a barbecue restaurant does not mean it is a world-renowned barbecue restaurant as the it's one not a barbecue restaurant. that I suggested in the Memphis itinerary. No, 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 no. It's not a bar- barbecue restaurant. It's, it's, it's a restaurant restaurant. So, I, no, there's not even barbecue there. I didn't even have that. I, I had like a – I uh, what did I have? I had a uh, – <laughs> this is terrible for me to admit <laughs> – I, I had a fried BLT sandwich. That's what I had. I know that sounds awful. So you asked me, let's go back to the original question of how you much visited did Memphis. I a lot. You visited Memphis and did not get barbecue. This is like going to New Orleans and stopping at the Olive Garden or, or Domino's as our, as our old boss, Jay Coffin, once famously did with his family. <laughs> uh, that's true. No, I went to, no, because I went to Gus's the other three nights and I got fried chicken every single night. So I didn't get, I got barbecue two out of the six nights and then, other things the other four nights. I mean, I love barbecue. I, I see where you're going with this. The places that you gave me were out of the way. It was 30 minutes away. I still had a day job to do. There were things I needed to, to pay attention to, which if we ever get Trust around me. to it on the podcast, fact, we'll talk about them. I factored that into the Memphis itinerary. I knew exactly <laughs> no, what your hours of operation were going to be, as well as these established businesses. No, you didn't, factor in, you didn't factor in an hour and a half rain delay on Sunday and then a playoff on Sunday. By the time I didn't even have dinner last night, if I'm being honest. So by the time I got back to my hotel, it was uh, – I had to finish up two blogs, went to sleep, had to wake up at 4 a.m., catch a flight. Fair enough. Uh, the final round uh, spilling into bath time was certainly unexpected, uh, but we were yeah, able right. to see the thrilling conclusion. Uh, playoff victory, Lucas Glover defeating Patrick Cantley. Patrick Cantley put on an absolute stripe show all day long on Sunday until he got to the first playoff hole, overcooked his tee shot just a little bit, and then narrowly missed. I don't know how that par putt uh, on the first playoff hole did not go in, uh, but it, uh, now Lucas Glover. Back-to-back winner on the PGA Tour. This was arguably, actually inarguably, the second most impressive victory of his career. The first, of course, being the 2009 U.S. Open, that sloppy Monday finish. But, Rex, you were there. You've covered Lucas for a very long time, even dating back to his college and amateur days. What are we witnessing here from the 43-year-old? It seems like he's completely reborn. He really is, and it's pretty amazing. I, I have known Lucas for a long time, going all the way back to his Clemson days, and it's not as though I thought he was washed. But anyone who watched, and, and I will say, whoever on the internet, and I'm sure it was more than one person, did the side-by-side comparison of him putting now with you know the broom-length putter and whatever it is he's discovered there with that putt where he literally yips it so bad he, he almost misses it. It, it like catches the very... Uh, edge of the heel and goes so far left of the hole from i, I don't know six i shrieked inches. i shrieked when i saw that yesterday like kuda chef's kiss like that's brilliant whoever pulled that off because it shows that to me is the best visual evidence of how far he has come when you look at he's always been such a good ball striker and to go back to things that shock you yes patrick cantlay hitting in the water on the first playoff hole that shocked me because you're right he had put on a stripe show but then i'll go i will go that lucas glover hitting in on the water on the 14th hole. Like he hadn't missed a shot all day long and it wasn't even close. It was 20 yards right of where he was looking. And that's not what he does. I mean, Lucas Glover doesn't miss right. If he'd have snap hooked it 30 yards left, I'd have been like, I I saw that coming. Like that, that definitely was in the wheelhouse, but for him to shoot that dead, right. I didn't see it coming. And for him to rebound, I, I guess is part of it, but it shows you how far he's come. And I guess the, the journey and look, we, we kind of went over this last week, the journey of getting to where he was with his putting and coming to grips with the idea that, all right, I have the yips and I have to figure that out. And I'm sorry for those with sensitive ears. I'm going to have, I'm probably going to say that a couple more times during this podcast. 
and how he got over it. And it, it wasn't easy. And I, I ended up talking with the Navy SEAL, the guy that he kind of worked with over the last few weeks. And his name is Jason Kuhn. And it's, it's most of it I, I glazed over. I'll be honest with you, because this dude is Sean Foley deep. Like he takes a really, really deep dive and it, you have to slow him down and you have to tell him, no, you got to dumb this down for me. Like I got to write this for people. And he wasn't able to do it. But essentially the message that he gave to Lucas that I feel like resonated was you're not weak. Just because you have the yips doesn't mean you're weak or you're afraid of the moment. And that's what this guy learned. He was a baseball player in college and he was pretty good. He was a pitcher and it got so bad. He got the pitching yips that he couldn't even play catch like little forget about pitching. He couldn't throw the ball to first base. And so obviously that ran him out of baseball. And so to prove to himself that it wasn't a weakness, that he wasn't afraid of the moment, he was a closer. Like this is what he, he craved that pressure. He wanted to be in the game when it was at its most important. He decided to join the Navy and try to become a seal and once he made it out of Bud's training, he said it, it dawned on me, like, I'm not weak. Like, if I was weak, I was never going to be able to do that. Like, no one could ever accuse me of that. And that's really what resonated with Lucas. And look, there's a there's a litany of other things. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time last night talking with his manager, Mac Barnhart, about sort of the journey they've been on really the last two years. I talked to Brad Faxon yesterday about some of the things they worked on putting-wise, the idea that this putter worked at this moment in time because he was trying to clear out all the garbage that he had in his mind. But the idea, if you would have asked me, if I would have asked you six weeks ago, just a scant six weeks ago, hey, man, Lucas is going to win back-to-back weeks, and it's going to be because of his putting. What would you have said to me? I mean, you would think that you're absolutely insane. I was actually going to encourage the people. I commend you on that story uh, with the Navy SEAL. Make sure you guys check that out uh, at golfchannel.com. That was a very interesting read. I don't even think Rex is being like a prisoner of the moment to say that, that this might be one of my favorite stories of the entire year. It's not just the fact that he's kind of addressed this taboo topic in sports, which is the Yips. I forget what the player's name, but uh, a, a pitcher uh, who came back and he was lost Travis, in the wilderness. And- uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a brave. I'm sorry. I should know this. Travis, I'm blanking on. I know you're talking about. Okay. But yeah, it's a good story. Um, I think the New Yorker did like a 10,000 word story on it uh, just recently, but like tackling that issue head on the fact that this has always been an elite ball striker. And now it seems that at age 43 at an age when, when players should be falling off the cliff with their careers, it actually seems like he's unlocked something and, and greatness is still possible at this advanced age competitively. It's a testament to, I think his ball striking excellence. It's a testament to his ingenuity and wanting to, to, to figure something out. I think it's also Rex a testament to his stubbornness that he wasn't just going to quit because things weren't going away. He was going to try everything possible. Uh, He was going to go down various rabbit holes and he was going to eventually figure it out. Even if it meant going cross-handed or putting left-handed or whatever the case may be. And he settled on this broomstick putter that has revitalized the careers of Bernard Langer, Adam Scott, Scott McCarron, and so many others. And I think, you know, the question is now where does, where does, where does this lead? You know, where does, where does this hot streak eventually go you look at his recent finishes five of his last six starts now have been six or better he's been doing this for the better part of two months he's now up to fourth in the FedEx Cup standings behind Rom, Scotty and Roy McIlroy I mean the defining players of his 2023 season he's up to 16th in the U.S. Ryder Cup standings and we'll certainly have a discussion here do you think it lasts this week at the BMW because I don't think anyone would blame Lucas Glover, if he just completely ran out of gas, finished 35th, slid down the kind of staggered start, the tour championship, and then finished what, you know, 15th 
in the Fresh Cup standings. It'd still be a hell of a way to close out the year. But where do, where do you think this story is going over the final two weeks of the season? Uh, the Atlanta Braves pitcher is Tyler Matzik. That was going to drive me crazy, so I looked it up. Um, it's funny you said that. As he was leaving the press center last night, I asked him, are you going home to South Florida before you go up to Chicago? And he said, no, he's going to go ahead and, and, and keep heading out. And the interesting thing was, I, was he tired? And he goes, not right now. And he goes, but look, I, I'm sure that Monday this Gotta is be. all going to hit me. Got to be and I'm going. And I'm going to have to take a knee for no other reason than we talked about this last week. It was 109 degree heat index last week. Like it was absolutely awful. And I know his pants made made uh, made a, a show on, on social Eric media yesterday. Uh, it, it was pretty bad. In his defense, he was not the only one with, uh, that was dealing with the swamp issues. Don't wear and, khakis. Uh, Don't wear khakis. The problem is, and this is the part that gets me, he only packed for one week. And I go, that seems like a you problem. Because here's the deal. When he started this journey, it was way back at the Wyndham Championship. And I said, even at the Wyndham, you were still qualified for the playoffs. Like there was still, uh, you know, there was very, very likely that you were going to end up playing at least two weeks. And then you would think you'd get on a run. And he spent uh, two nights last week doing laundry. Uh, you're right. He didn't choose wisely on the pants. I, I don't know that dark pants are any better. I actually made a, a pitch. Black pants are um, always better. I always wear dark pants when it's hot. Oh, I, I guess maybe it does when it's hot. It's, hot. Blue. Like it's just going to throw, throw it through. Sure. I, and I would say that Friday, there's probably not much you could do it. I made the pitch that there's kind of an unwritten rule in the PGA tour that if the heat index gets above 100 degrees, the caddies are allowed to take the bib off. I would make the argument that if the heat index is above 100 degrees, they should be allowed to wear shorts because that was ridiculous. Everything I, mean, I saw last week. Why is that? Like, I understand you want to look professional, including now with, with Live Golf adopting shorts, regardless of the weather conditions. I understand wanting to di- differentiate themselves and make it a professional workplace. But it kind of goes back to the argument when we were <laughs> standing on the range right at the Open Championship, and it's absolutely – pouring down rain you look ridiculous if you don't have a rain jacket or an umbrella it looks ridiculous for these guys to be sweating through their trousers when it's 115 degree heat index like come on let's just let's just use common sense and plus it's it's borderline unsafe uh you haven't let that go have you you're still going back to the range and that just bugs you it's gonna it's me wearing suits sitting in this chair that bugs you Anna Whiteley says misting nope yeah yeah not exactly Anna, love you to death. It was not misting. And that's easy to say when you're sitting in that booth. Uh, I, and I'll just say this, and I don't want to turn this into the Lucas Glover podcast because there was a lot of layers to this story. And uh, I, I was talking with his agent last night, and he brought up the idea of when he got the, the broom handle putter. And it was kind of Brad Faxon who said, you know, he'd been working with Lucas a little bit over the last year. And so uh, Brad's actually in Italy, and I was texting back and forth with him. And he goes, look, man, nothing was working. Like I'd watched him use every method, every putter, anything you could think of for the last year. And it was finally, like, if he's being honest, it was a desperate just plea. Like, just put something else in your hands. It was either this or putt left-handed. Those were the only two options that were left. And he goes, give it a shot. And Lucas got one, and he asked Faxon, okay, what do I do? And Faxon goes, I mean, the answer there is, is kind of offensive. It's, dude, I'm the best putter of my generation. I don't know how to use that thing. How in the world would I know how to use that thing? And so he told him to go on the internet and look at videos. And that's what he did. He went on YouTube and he watched Adam Scott. He said, Scott McCarron. He goes, I like Scott McCarron's videos. He, he told me he does talky-talky videos. And I'm like, all right, well, whatever, until he figured it out in his garage. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, oh, I looked at Lucas Glover settling in over every putt last week and yep that one's going in the hole i still don't feel comfortable simply because we've watched him the last three years it's the same guy who told me last week that he had not one but two panic attacks 
on a golf course during a PGA tour event. It's the same guy who told you like, look, man, I knew how bad it was yeah, that, that I, I did not, I did not see a future in the game. If I kept going down this path, it's a testament to how hard that guy is willing to work because I can see a lot of other players would have easily just walked away, thrown up their hands been like, yep, that's it. I'm done. There's nothing I can do because he tried everything and he finally landed on a combination of a bunch of different things that worked. I mean, it really is unbelievable. The Wyndham was, a, I think, a great story. Uh, a guy who had seen the absolute depths of this profession and went on the PGA Tour. It was an entirely different thing that happened in Memphis Rex, like outdueling Patrick Cantlay head-to-head, holding off Roy McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, Tommy Fleetwood, Max Homa. I mean, these are literally the 70 best players on the PGA Tour during the season, and it's Lucas Glover who missed only five times inside 10 feet and made three insanely clutch putts on the back nine, all outside 10 feet, all for par or bogey. Just it was to 60 say the feet mix. of putts. It was when, 60 feet of putts and three holes that did it for him. It's amazing. On a day when his ball striking just wasn't good. If, if you had told Lucas Glover two months ago that you'd only hit nine greens in regulation on the final round of a tournament against the very best players in the world and you'd still win, he, he would have thought that was absolutely bonkers. I think the question now, Rex obviously switches to the U.S. Ryder Cup discussion. The U.S. team is going to be finalized on Sunday night after the BMW Championship. Right now, just Scotty Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, and Patrick Cantlay have locked up spots on that team. As of now, Brian Harmon, Brooks Koepka, Max Homa are numbers four through six. You would think regardless of what happens this week, those three players are going to be on that American squad. But then I think it's going to get interesting. Sander Shoffley, yes, I would expect him to be in Rome. Jordan Spieth, ditto for him. After that, I don't know. Ricky Fowler, I would certainly put him on that team. And then you would think with the, the breakthrough uh, and the resurgence that he's shown, that's nine guys. And so where does Lucas Glover now fall among the Cameron Youngs, the Colin Morikawas, the Sam Burns, the JTs, the Tony Finaus? I certainly think he deserves to be in the conversation but with captain's picks to be made in now 15 days, are, are you going to put him on that team? Uh, I'll say this. Uh, I asked him about the Ryder Cup, if it had dawned on him at all last night. And that kind it went of viral. That, that it, question it did. answer went viral. And it did. And it wasn't his best answer when it came to the Ryder Cup. Doug Ferguson asked a much better question than me. And his question was, uh, if you were the captain, would you make yourself a pick? And Lucas's argument was, yes. If you look at the way I've played the last few weeks – if you look at how he feels like he would fit into that team, if you look at what he would mean to that team room, he made the argument he absolutely would be. I'm going to kind of walk this backwards because I feel like this is a larger Ryder Cup question given where we are right now in the state because it happens on Sunday night, at least it gets locked in. I I was kind of surprised that the conversation on the range last week and specifically on Sunday night when Brooks dropped a fifth on the list, and that's telling. And look, Brooks is probably going to qualify for the team, and this is going to be a non-starter. Not, but not I guaranteed, would, though. Not guaranteed. It There's isn't. So and so there's so much money because the, the, the larger purses and the playoffs and the, and the designated slash signature events have sort of skewed the way this plays out. I will say the signature next year. That's why I'm doing the designated slash signature. That's why I decided to do that. Um, I'll say this, and I'll throw this back at you. If Brooks drops to seventh. You have not answered the question. No, I will, but I feel like it's a larger conversation. In, in, I, I, my, I would have said that if Brooks dropped to seventh or eighth or even ninth, 
that he's a lock to be on the team. I am surprised how many people who I respect their opinion in this game have told me that not necessarily. And their argument is, and I can see where this is coming from, is what has Brooks done since May? Like, okay, second at the Masters, and he wins the PGA Championship. And clearly he hasn't done much on the PGA Tour since then. He's a live golf player, and he doesn't get to play in many of the PGA Tour events. But he hasn't really even done much on, on live golf. And so we don't know. We've talked about this before. Like, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around how do you sort of gauge what's happening over there. And we probably need to pay better attention to it based on what's going on. But if he drops to seventh or eighth, do you still think Brooks is a lock? Yes. Yes. The reigning PGA champion, a guy who was the 54-hole leader at the Masters, yes, I absolutely think he's a lock. I mean, did he play great at the U.S. Open? No. But he still finished 17th. It wasn't a great week. Uh, at the Open Championship, and I was particularly surprised by that finish at T64. He's not been playing uh, his best golf uh, on live as well. He's no, you know, Cameron Smith, who's won two of his last three. Um, uh, even, you know, Phil Mickelson popped up for his first top 10 last week at Bedminster. He's also had a lot going on. Just had his first kid. You see that uh, typically as it pertains to players on the PGA Tour as well. When you have a significant life event, as Brooks Kepkes did, uh, he and his wife, Jenna, welcomed the first kid. Uh, prematurely kids still uh, in the ICU. Yeah. I give him a little bit of benefit of doubt that he's probably been distracted and he's not fully hundred uh, percent committed to his craft. Uh, if, if Brooks Kepka somehow drops to, to 12th, which I don't think is going to happen. I'm still putting him on that team. He's one of the biggest primetime players that we've seen of this generation. Uh, and he's absolutely among the 12 best Americans what, where I think it's an interesting discussion as it pertains to Lucas Glover is, is the remaining players who need to be picked all are pretty similarly profiled. Are they not like you think of Kyle Morikawa? What's his strength? Iron play. What's his weakness? Putting. What's Cameron Young's strength? Driving the golf ball. What's his weakness? Putting. You look at Tony Finau. What's his strength? Driving an iron play. What's his weakness? Putting. Lucas Glover. What's his strength? Iron play. What's his weakness? At least until six well, weeks ago. No, I don't think at least until six that. weeks ago, it was right. putting. It might not be anymore. However, he's not been in that cauldron in a team competition in 14 years since the 2009 President's Cup. Has never played on a Ryder Cup. And right now, Rex, I would not put him on that team. I would still pick Justin Thomas for that team. I think a lot of people are overlooking the fact that unlike in years past where the Fast Cup players rolls directly into the Ryder Cup. Remember the Hazeltine year 2016 Ryder Cup where Ryan Moore got super hot and Bubba Watson had kind of tailed off and Ryan Moore made that team in, in, in what became an eventual U.S. route. Like that was the following week. We're still almost 50 days away from the Ryder Cup matches starting. How a player is playing on August 16th is not particularly relevant to how he's necessarily going to play on September 29th. There's also obviously the difference between stroke play and match play for as good as, as Lucas Glover has performed in stroke play over the past two months in the PGA tour. It's an entirely different animal needing to make putts and hit clutch shots on the road in a way Ryder cup in an environment. He has never been uh, for a player who is very open about the demons that he's been battling. And it, I see what you're saying. Putting a 40-something 
rookie on a Ryder Cup team that's going overseas where there is some level of expectations coming off of whistling straights that, okay, the United States can finally end that drought that they've had overseas. I, I can see where the dilemma is. I see your point about, well, we're 50 days away. Does it really matter? I'll go back to the idea that they actually came up with something called the Billy Horschel rule. And this was all based on the idea of Billy Horschel doing essentially exactly what Lucas Glover is doing right now, that he won two of the four playoff events at the time and yet did not make the team. Now, I will argue that you do have to look at team chemistry, and this goes back to JT. So in my mind, we can sit and we can flex around all of these different players. I guess Morikawa would be one that I would look at. Sam Burns would be another one that doesn't seem to be trending in the right direction. Xander Schauffele doesn't seem to be trending in the right direction. So we can have uh, it, it seems like it, but if you start looking at, okay, who's playing good right now, you could probably find a, a handful of players that you can make the argument, well, they're not playing their best. And a lot of that probably goes to the idea that everyone's pressing right now. Everyone, unless you're one or two and you've already qualified, you're pressing to get on that team. That's how much this means to these players. So in my mind, this comes down between if, if all things being equal, let's say that Lucas doesn't do a whole lot this week or after the tour championship, essentially players have the next two weeks to show Zach Johnson what they, what they have. They, they can, they, there's still a bit of a window on that front. JT clearly fits into that team room better. There's, I don't know if you know this, he and Jordan Spieth are really, really good friends. And he and Ricky Fowler, Ricky Ricky Fowler, he's the heartbeat of the team. You'd send him out first in singles and not even think twice about it. Uh, Well, I don't know about that. I I would probably rethink that one a little bit. And so I can see where that's coming from. This goes back to the conversation we had last week though. As, as gutsy as I thought that was on the 72nd hole at the Wyndham Championship. And look, I was a prisoner of the moment. I said, pick him right now because I just love the way he finished with that kind of pressure. He's still hitting an awful drive to put himself in that situation. He hit a lot of bad shots during the Wyndham Championship. The swing is still not great relative to where he normally is. This is not the Justin Thomas we know. So I think it's going to be a little bit more of a sort of a mental exercise. My guess is Zach Johnson now has narrowed his focus quite a bit where this is becoming real because you're going to have the six qualify in just a few days. And then you have to start putting everything on your big board and deciding exactly where they fall in. Now, all things being equal, let's say that, that Lucas does what you probably think he's going to do and run out of steam the next Mm. two weeks. My guess is that Zach leans towards JT, but right now it's a tough decision. I mean, it's certainly a a tough decision and and Lucas Glover has, has dealt another dose of heartburn in in Zach Johnson's direction. I, I do personally think it will be a moot point it's a lot to ask lucas glover to go for the three-peat this week at the bmw i mean if, if he if he pulls it off if he somehow wins he's qualifying automatically he could move as high as number five in the standings he would be on that team regardless well, forget about winning let's say he finishes top five the next two weeks we're having a much it, different conversation yeah on monday after the tour championship i think that's a lot to ask of it lucas is, glover absolutely. but it's not out of the realm of of, of possibilities yes if he if he makes a spirited run this week of the BMW. If he makes a spirited run for the $18 million FedEx Cup prize, then, then yeah, he's given Zach Johnson a whole lot to, to think about. But he wasn't, even on the, he wasn't even on the radar two weeks ago. And so if I'm Zach Johnson and I'm looking at overall bodies of work, are you going to trust a guy who is in, I think, the best form of his life at 43 and has played absolutely red hot for these past two months? Or are you going to look at the body of work of Justin Thomas, a dazzling record in the Ryder Cup, an away game. The Americans have not won in 30 years on foreign soil, a 15-time winner, a future Hall of Famer. You're going to roll with JT in those credentials, or are you going to 
are you going to roll with a guy who's, who's clearly riding a hot streak? I think that's the question that's going to come down to. And comparing and making this an either or for JT or Lucas probably isn't fair because I probably my guess is Keegan Bradley and Sam I mean Burns Keegan, are not Keegan locked, could pop locked up as well. Yeah, Sam Burns could pop up. I think Burns squandered a big opportunity on a golf course that he's enjoyed success before uh, finishing outside the top sixty last week. Uh, Team Southwind really really dented his chances. Tony Finau hasn't been playing well either. And so I think he'll have a decision to make. And, and I certainly see – I would pick Lucas to, to go back and finally answer your question simply wow. because, that again, you, they made a rule for this. Part of the task force conversation way back in 2014 was how do we get better? And one of those things was, well, maybe we left a hot hand on the bench and, and Billy Horschel in that particular atmosphere. Right now that hot hand is Lucas Glover. So they went out of their way. FedEx Cup's ending earlier than it did in 2014, though. FedEx sure, Cup's ending, ending a month early. Any Ryder Cup captain, particularly a losing Ryder Cup captain, will tell you on a Sunday night after losing that, that Ryder Cup that what happened? They made more putts than we do. And right now, I don't think anybody's making more putts than Lucas Glover. That could certainly dry up in the next six weeks. But, boy, does that make for a compelling wow, storyline. I mean, Oof, it makes for a compelling storyline. in the next few weeks. <laughs> it could. It could. Hey. The, team, the team does not play on August 15th. They play in six weeks. How a player is performing right now, I would trust that Justin Thomas is going to find his game over the next month at home than thinking Why? that this Lucas Glover run Why? over the next He two hasn't months. found it all year long. Why? Because he's a generational talent. He's proven that. Why? Give me, give me something more than that. And we're eight months in. Give me something more than that. Okay. Like, you... he, he's been grinding away for eight months. What do you think he's going to find in South Florida in the dirt over the next three weeks? You look at his pedigree. He still makes plenty of birdies. The, uh, the mistakes are we going to do this making... on pedigree? Then let's pick Tiger Woods. The mistakes that he is making. You're I'm being sure a homer, talking, man. I'm sure. No. If, if, if he can find the right partner, which he would with the Jordan Spieth or Ricky Fowler, sure. some of his I'm mistakes that, that he's been making uh, would be offset by having partner play. You wouldn't necessarily need to trot him out there in all five matches like you typically would in a President's Cup or even a, a, a Ryder Cup uh, previously. And, and look, he's the heartbeat of this team. He's the heart and soul. You do not leave. JT on the bench. He showed at least glimmers of good play at the Wyndham Championship when he absolutely needed to do so. Would it have been ideal for him to make the FedEx Cup playoffs and play at least one tournament? Yes. I think that's indisputable. But I think with a month at he home... He will not have played can, a meaningful golf shot in two months by the time he ends up in Rome. You don't think he's going to be turning up in Napa? Um, I mean... I guess he could, but we don't know that right now. I mean, I, again, I, I'm going to call it a meaningful golf shot because he can show up in Napa and, and just say, oh, I'm I trying think out. I think Zach Johnson like, picks him for that U.S. team. I would expect to see him in Napa for the season opener. Or excuse me. No long, it's, that it's, would it's, be it's helpful. Long, it's, it's all along the season opener. It's the, it's the opening event of the fall series. That would be helpful. And, he, and here's why I'm getting caught. Like, I'm not 100% in on Lucas. Like, I can look at the, the writing on the wall and be like, yeah, 43-year-old rookie probably don't want to take him overseas and you're right like the, the but you can partner him with brian Harmon pretty easily the, the putting is always something you're going to look at certainly you could part, partner him with brian Harmon. you could probably partner him with anyone i think you're dismissing the idea that lucas somehow wouldn't fit into that team room because i think 100 no. oh not would. at all i mean he is he's, oh, he's one of the most well-liked guys on yeah. tour oh i don't think that's and the so, case at all so here's the deal i will see lucas's blind spots when it comes to this conversation you will not see jt's blind spots and, and I think that's where you're coming he in with your home. He didn't qualify for the FedEx Cup playoffs. I think his blind spot is pretty obvious. This has yeah, been the worst year of his career by a wide margin. Yes. But I would still and, want him on the U.S. Ryder Cup team. 
JT, if he's in good form, if he can find some sort of form over the next six weeks, if something clicks with he and his dad, Mike, a big if that is a big if, but he doesn't need to be perfect. He just needs Uh, his presence. Justin, Justin Thomas would scare some of the Europeans. Lucas Glover would scare absolutely no one. Great player. I don't know about that either. Two, I'm, not, I'm not giving you that one. Two, two decades of reputational play on the PGA Tour, but JT would scare somebody, yes, if he's in good form. 100%. You don't think the Europeans have access to the same data that we do? They, they can see that, oh, he's not playing great. Like, trust me, he didn't qualify for the playoffs. Oh, okay. And maybe they picked JT because he was a name. I think that's part of the problem that the U.S. team gets into time and time again. You don't again. think the Europeans are going to make Lucas Glover putt everything outside 18 inches? Every single uh, Oh, absolutely, 100%. And again – I just said in the, in the previous conversation we had, as great as it has been, and look, I quantified it. I broke it down how good his putting has been really over the last 22 rounds. Man, I, I'm nervous. When he's standing there, forget about standing over the 30-footers. Like, I'm kind of indifferent when it comes to them. There were so many three-footers coming down the stretch yesterday and really all week last week where I was just kind of shaking my head like, oh, that, I just don't feel comfortable over this. To his credit, though, I mean, he wasn't lipping them in. He wasn't mm-hmm. catching some of the hole. I mean, they were dead in the center walking after them. Each and every time. I think regardless, Rex, of what transpires over the next two weeks, this has been a, it's going to be a fun storyline to watch. You, you, can only, you can only get so excited about mega millionaires like Roy McIlroy, Scotty Scheffler, and John Rahm fighting over an $18 million prize, right? Like that's, that's not what gets our juices flowing. It's unlikely stories like Lucas Glover. It's players who like Cam Davis, uh, who burst inside the top 50 and now is exempted to the signature events uh, for 2024, who could change all – alter the trajectory of his career. It's the players this week who can get inside the top 30 and then get inside three of the four major championships for 2024. That's kind of why we like these lead-up events until the tour championship. Speaking of which, you took a little bit of a deep dive, I believe, on the top 50. That was kind of your main storyline to watch heading into the uh, FedEx St. Jude championship. What was your takeaway about how that drama kind of unfolded on Sunday afternoon? And I've been probably the first one to roll my eyes every time a tour official, so I'm talking to you, Tom Alter, walked up to me and said that such and such is projected to finish here. Because my argument had always been, really, Tom? Because I feel like we like to play 72 on the PGA Tour. But please tell me where They've been doing projections since the Sony Open. Yeah, so it's just, it's ridiculous. Like, don't tell me the Orioles are in first place going into June, because I don't need to hear it. And the Orioles are still in first place. So now, I'll certainly listen to it now. Uh, And don't tell me about projections on Thursday or Friday at the first playoff event. This one was different, though, and we've talked about this before. Going into next year and the signature events, and specifically, if you look at the eight signature events, there's 16 of them, but I'm not counting the majors. uh, I'm not counting the playoff events. I'm not counting the players' championships. So you take those eight out of it, and you look at the other eight, and we can can sort of break those down. And the difference between the guy uh, who, on Sunday, just two days ago, finished 50th, and the difference between the guy who finished 51st was exactly one stroke. You can quantify that. Like the, 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 the number difference between those two p- players was one stroke over the course of an entire season. You think, so the, do you think, you think Mac Hughes on the plane ride home was, was ruining yeah. a shot he gave away, a, oh, yeah. a, missed, two, a missed two-footer, a duff yeah. chip, whatever the case may he be? Told us well, he that's, was. A, that's a tough oh, yeah. pill to stomach. Oh, yeah. He told us he was. Well, he was going to go get drunk first on Sunday when we talked sure. to him, and then, and then he sure. was going to sit and think about it. Well, I, I don't blame him. I mean, when he kind no. of thought through his options. What are you going to do? It wouldn't be a playoff. It wouldn't be a playoff for the 50th spot. Mm-hmm. What does it matter? Why not? 
so it wasn't his idea. Uh, some, a member of the media mentioned it and brought it up, and he thought, mm, that's a good idea. Hmm. Like, very rarely do you suddenly see someone get reminded, of, oh, I can get drunk. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> this is something I can do. Um, so the difference between those two players is exactly one stroke. And the schedule that the guy who finished 50th will play versus the guy who finished 51st will be so wildly different. And that's what I kind of broke down. And there's a bunch of ways you can do it. So what you, what I did was I took the eight signature events and I came up with eight comparable full field. I'm doing the air quotes for those who aren't doing the visual medium on this. And so by comparison, it would be Arnold Palmer is one of the signature events. So it would be the classic, a.k.a. the Honda Classic would be the kind of comparable one. Just start with purses. In those eight events, those players would play for $155 million. In the eight full field events, the the, the others – they will play for $67 million. So it's more than a, a twice as much difference. Probably the bigger deal is the points. And the way I broke this down was, let's take the guy who finished 50th on the FedEx Cup points list just yesterday and the guy who finished 51st. If the guy who finished 50th finishes 10th in every single one of those eight signature events, he will finish 14th on the season on the regular season ending points list. That will pretty much guarantee he makes it to Eastlake. If that same player who finished 51st does the exact same thing in the full field events, the non-signature events, he'll finish 71st. He won't make it to the playoffs. Those points are so much more exaggerated all the way down. Essentially, the points, the FedEx Cup points for signature events are the same as they are for major championships. So the what you're going to end up with is players who are playing that signature event schedule next year who don't have to play all that well to make sure that they stay in that that very, very comfortable bubble. So if you're going to pick a year to finish inside that 50th, and you can do this any number of ways, you can quantify the difference. But that one, to me, is the one that stood out. I do like this 70-50-30 cutoff. It feels more demanding. It feels more arduous. It feels like it's more elite. Now, I'll see how it feels <laughs> when I get on site at Olympia Fields. It may, it may feel kind of lame just having 50 PGA Tour players there. There's no cut. Uh, and they're basically jockeying for a position to maybe get inside the major championships, three of the four major championships. The PGA Championship is the only one you're not automatically exempt him to. But I guess we'll see how it feels. I, I think it is typical, Rex, to have, as much as we talk about, there's actually little volatility of the players who actually play their way in. And just this time, it was Cam Davis, uh, who ended up tying for six, had a good week at TPC Southwind, uh, and got inside the top 50. And Hideki Matsuyama, who played a five-hole stretch on the back nine in five under par, including an eagle on the 16th hole to jump inside the magic number. Now, he still needs a, he still has a lot of work to do ahead of him. He currently has the longest active streak of qualifying for the Tour Championship in nine consecutive seasons, but at least now he has a chance to go for number 10. I know Hideki is an interesting case because just like Justin Thomas, he'd be a player who could vacuum up one of those sponsor exemptions. You only get four of them. For those signature events, had he not made it, you would think he'd be a, a, a quality candidate for one of those sponsor exemptions for sure. And it's important to point out that top 50 is the primary way that guys will get into the signature events next year. There will be other ways. There's going to be 15 spots available essentially for how you're playing over the course of next season. There'll be the top a win, 10. A win you're automatically in. A win will get you in. And you pointed out there will be four sponsor exemptions. Uh, top 30 in the world. Although if you're top 30 in the world, you probably fall into one of those other categories anyway. My, my point, though, and this goes back to kind of the World Golf Championship days when they first sort of introduced that. And I, I remember doing this story a long time ago with our colleague Trip Eisenhower, pointing out the schedule that he played versus the schedule that Tiger Woods played during that same time period. And Tiger Woods' schedule was filled with 
big money events, world golf championship majors, that type of thing, invitationals. A lot of them didn't have cuts. And it was so much more exaggerated over what the guy, Trip Eisenhower, in this particular case, was playing. And look, the answer to this is always play better. And I'm never one that's going to run away from that. That is 100% true. Like, I, I, I feel like that, that that's true. That The top players will rise to the top eventually. I just think the way this is going to be structured, and we won't know until we get a few seasons under our belt, but I think the way this new system is structured is it's going to be so different. It's going to be so much more difficult for not just the top players to play their way in, but for anybody to play their way in. Now, I know at least the there is a chance, this, but at least there there's is. a chance for them to play their way in. There is, and I know what the tour has said the churn rate is going to be. Uh, I'm just dubious until I actually see it, simply because, as I just pointed out, the numbers. The numbers skew so heavily toward those signature events that if you're not in them, you're going to have to place exponentially better than those who are in them. Well, I mean, we're certainly putting, we're putting a lot of faith in these tour models and the, the formulations and exactly what they've been doing with all these simulations. We're certainly putting a lot of faith in that. On paper, though, it does look enticing i think there could be a good flow to it i don't think you're necessarily going to keep home run you said you called it a home run yesterday yeah. or last no week. i think i i think i backtracked to a stand-up triple i backtracked to a to a, to a stand-up triple i, I really i really like it and i think if a player plays well uh like a, like an eric cole who you know no one really heard of him until the honda classic uh vies for the title there and now he's all the way inside the top 50 and now set for the signature events. That's a player who you can see next year, whether it's a Pearson Cooney or, or whoever has a great year uh, and then alters the trajectory of his career. And, and Eric is an interesting example because I talked to him about this for a story I think I'm going to work on over the fall. He's going to end up playing right now. I think it stands at 33 events. And you're right. Like what he did at the Honda Classic and the way he played his way really through the spring sort of got him into those signature events, let's call them, designated events last year. He's a, a great example. He's also a great example of what you're going to have to do. The, the guy that does that is probably going to end up having to play between 30 and 35 events because you will have to be grinding in the weeks between those designated events to make sure that you've secured your spot into them until you've actually sort of landed. So until you actually win you know, an event and you've locked up your signature card for the year, let's call it that way, or you've moved so far into the top 10 of the FedEx Cup points list, you're going to have to keep grinding. As a brief aside of a player who is going to keep grinding, I'm sure you missed it that Justin Thomas has announced that he will play in the Ned Bay Golf Challenge at the end of the year. I don't think it's because he's wanting to see South Africa. Uh, I'm sure appearances money is involved. And also, as you mentioned, one of the avenues for getting inside those signature events for 2024, for which he is not currently eligible, is to remain among the top 30 in the world in the week preceding that. Justin Thomas uh, could certainly, if he wins that tournament, uh, help boost his world ranking. Very interesting. All right. Besides the Jay Monahan stuff and his return, we covered that on last week's Golf Shell podcast with Rex and Lavin. Besides the Lucas Glover coronation once more in Memphis, I think the week Rex was dominated by the explosive allegations in regards to Phil Mickelson. If you somehow miss this, if you're living under a rock last week, Billy Walters, the uh, infamous gambler alleged that Phil Mickelson totaled more than 1 billion with a B dollars in uh, bets over the course of three decades totaled uh, roughly $100 million in losses and once attempted to make a $400,000 wager on the outcome of the 2012 U S Ryder cup uh, for which in which uh, Mickelson 
was participating. Walters did add, he did add that he, uh, Mickelson, he did not know whether Mickelson uh, eventually made the bet elsewhere. Mickelson, for his part, said on social media, on the platform X, formerly known as Twitter, that he did not make the bet, did not deny doing so. What was your takeaway, Rex? Is this a big deal? We've always known that, Fickleson, that Mickelson loves uh, some action on the golf course, or do you think that this is impugning his character once again? Uh, I'm going to show you how much this makes you uncomfortable, and we're going to bore the audience nope. over the next. Nope. Few don't months. know anything about gambling. Please don't. Uh, no, I'm going to bore the. We're going to bore the audience over the next few months because Lav has found his way into the fantasy football league that I have with my sons. It's called Westside Fantasy Football League, and you guys, I'm sure you'll hear plenty about it over the next coming weeks and months. But here's how you just run from gambling. The buy-in. My son wants the buy-in to be two hundred dollars. Two hundred dollars yeah. for a there neighborhood league. There it is. There it is. There, there it is. Yeah, I told him that's not going to work. I go. We're, we're closer to twenty. Let's keep it around. Does 20. he even have a job? No, uh, he does. Yes, yeah, so he does. He works. He's, does he he's just a like allowance student. Money? No, he's a, he works at, at our local golf course. Again, I think he might have a gambling problem, but it shows how much you do not understand gambling, nor do I, because my reaction was the same as yours. I, I recoiled as well. But here's the deal. Talking with friends of ours, mutual friends of ours, who are gambling degenerates, I don't want to say any names, Jason Sobel, but he kind of put it into context that for him to, to put a $400,000 bet on the Ryder Cup, really, really bad. Hope he didn't do that because that is going to impugn his, his legacy. But if he did that, by comparison to how much money he made per year, that's like you and I making a $150 bet. And so we're not going to it's do that. It's not the dollar amount. I'm not sure it's by not the, dollar the dollar amount. amount. It's the that's fact the that he tried. He yes. tried. He was, so, he was so deep in the throes of addiction that he allegedly tried to make a wager on a tournament that he was playing. No, and you're right. That's the part. Like everyone got caught up and always oh, made a billion dollars in bets over the last three decades, and he bet this. He can much do with, it's, it's his money. He can do. He can, with, you can do what, what you wants. want. And actually, there was a really good column on SI.com. Who I enjoyed reading it because it came at it from the point of view that you have to have empathy for someone that is going through this because this is a disease. This is a problem. Whatever you want to call it, but you need to have empathy. Whether if it's Phil Mickelson or one of someone else we know, that's not the part I got caught up with. You're absolutely. You're 100 right. It's him trying to make a bet on the Ryder Cup. And I think our, our friend, uh, Eamon Lynch, did a whole column about this. Oh and you're right, <laughs> Phil. Well, I'm not, please go to golfweek.com and read his column. I'm, I'm pointing you in that direction because I'm not going to go through all of this. But I did think he made a good point. Phil has denied this. However, knowing what we do know about how much Phil likes to place a bet and knowing a little bit of what we do know about Phil's motivation to go to live golf, it's not a stretch. To think he would have put himself in a situation where he thought, oh, I can make some quick money because I know what the outcome of this is going to be. I'm not saying that's happened at all, but man, that absolutely 100% would impact his legacy. Uh, oh, 100%. Just it's the same way it did with Pete, Pete Rose, Rose, whose name whose name was invoked uh, by Billy Walters. I, I, I think where I come down this, Rex, is this is a guy who once made, according to Walters, 43 bets on Major League Baseball in a single That made day. me laugh. How do we know for sure that <laughs> Phil Mickelson did not cross the line while in the throes of addiction and better his own sport simply because he said so? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, and that was Eamon's point, and, and I agree with that. that. That's a good point. It, it, needs, it needs to be – I don't know how, but, but it, it, needs, it, it, it deserves, I think, a closer look. I don't know if – I think of investigation is probably too strong of a, of a word, but PJ Tour – I mean, Live Golf has a no-betting clause – as well 
PJ of America. I caught the guys in Iowa. (laughs) Did did catch guys in Iowa, but yeah, I I think it does. I think it does uh, warrant a closer look. I think. I think it also Rex. This is kind of what we've we've always known, or at least had a suspicion. But it also paints, I think, an interesting backdrop for what has unfolded over the past couple years, where if, as Walter says, that Mickelson squandered a sizable portion of his fortune, there was only one way that Phil was going to recoup that at age 51, and it's to get a nine-figure signing bonus from the Saudis. You were not going to get that any other way. You're not going to get that on the PJ Tour. You're not going to get that through endorsement money. It was literally just to get a check from the Saudis. That's why he was uh, so highly rewarded or motivated to get it done uh, and why he wanted to, to launch Live Golf. So I think that was an interesting backdrop to that as well. Uh, Rex. Part that I, here's the part that I don't get. And and look, I, I'm no one is a bigger baseball guy than me. I don't know if you can see it over my shoulder here. But I need to figure out how to get that into the shot. Yes. Or, um, oh. No one is a bigger baseball guy than me. Thank you, uh, Eric Soderstrom, my friend at Tylus, for sending me that. I will say this. 43 bets in one day? Who has the time or the energy to focus on 43 baseball games in one day? And that was like before they made baseball watchable. Like, I don't watch baseball uh-huh. anymore, but I went to a Braves game and, like, at least things were moving quickly. Back in the day, that was not the case. Uh, so I think it just shows just how sick it was. Do you think Roy's quip, you were standing there on Thursday. Roy clearly wanted to be teed up on the, on the Mickelson Ryder Cup thing. Do you think that was fair or foul saying at least Phil can bet on it because it's not going to be part of it? Oh, I think it's fair. I mean, look. Oh, a lot of people were, were crying foul. A lot of people. Uh, no, was, I, I heard that. It insensitive. Um, no, no. I, why, why? Why is it insensitive? Like, again, because this goes was, back to. Was, this, is, this is a disease, and you shouldn't be poking fun of those uh, who okay. are clearly suffering. And I, I, just, I just pointed that out. Like, look, you have to have some sort of empathy for someone who goes to that. I, I think this wasn't poking fun of him because he has a gambling problem. This is poking fun of him because, because Phil's not going to be on this Ryder Cup team or any Ryder Cup team, at least the way Rory envisions it going into the future. If, if you think that suddenly that there's still not going to be hurt feelings between those two sides because the two principals can't, are trying to come to some sort of definitive agreement, that's what I tried to explain to people who pointed it out that it felt insensitive. Like, look, man, like, Jay Monahan and the PGA Tour and the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia can do whatever they want to do. Roy McIlroy still has a dog in the fight. He still does not like a lot of the guys who went over there, including Phil Mickelson. This has nothing to do with him picking on him because he may or may not have a gambling problem. This has him picking on him because he feels like he made a bad decision. He's on the quote-unquote wrong side of history, and he's going to keep rubbing that in. And Phil has clearly made himself bigger than the game, uh, which is not going to go over well for Rory or basically any of his peers uh, in the world of golf. I also would point out Rex uh, that Mickelson himself laughed off a fan comment last week by saying, quote, I'm not a gambling man. And also if you saw the YouTube <laughs> video uh, with the Bryson DeChambeau match, uh, he was clearly woofing about all the gambling stakes that were going to be in. So he may be a changed man. He may have expressed remorse. Uh, he may have said he was disappointed by his actions, uh, but he still does love to chase a little bit of on course. All right, you are home this week. I will be in Chicago, uh, hopefully uh, tasting some deep dish pizza. What's on the grill? Because fantasy football season is upon us, and you need to start dialing it in. Uh, fantasy football season is upon us. I think I'm going I, – I, I haven't done ribs in a long time, and after being uh, in that place last week, being in Memphis, I think I'm going to give it a shot. It's really, really hot in Florida. I know that no one's going to be like, what? No, that's that can't be true. Not now. And, uh, Unlike – 
unseasonably, unseasonably hot, hot, which is uh, weird because for summer in Florida. Well, and I'll tell you, I don't think I paid attention to preseason football as much as I did uh, over the f- last couple of days either. So and that's why I was kind of Snapchatting you back and forth about, I think I'm going to get the red zone this year. That's why I was asking you yesterday because I, the, the boys want to watch golf, the golf channel bonus. The golf channel bonus must have just hit. Yes, it must have clicked in uh, because the boys want to watch football, and one of them is a is a Saints fan, and so the only way to get that is to to get the red zone. So I think I got to dial in the ribs, don't you? Uh, you definitely have to dial in the ribs, right? Because I think that goes without saying. I'm not getting red zone this year. I mean, now a Jags season ticket holder, so at least half of my Sundays will be uh, overtaken. Uh, by home Jags playoff games. And of course we'll have watch parties in the outdoor kitchen for when they are away as well. You mentioned the fantasy football league. I will be in with the Hoggards, uh, obviously not for a $200 buy-in because that's absolutely ridiculous for what should be a home friendly uh, neighborhood league. Uh, We're also, you and I are in a golf channel slash NBC sports fantasy football league uh, headed uh, the commissioner is Jason Gold, who is our video producer, and will be putting uh, this very podcast up on YouTube and Shout out, uh, any other platform in which you get your podcast. That should provide uh, plenty of entertainment this fall. We'll have to have some sort of fun stakes. If you guys have any suggestion for either uh, weekly finishes or season-long finishes between Rex and I and our fantasy football league through NBC Sports, uh, please hit us up in our mentions. You can find us We're on not doing weekly. Or we can Instagram. do. Why not? Why not? We have a weekly podcast. Know. There needs to be some sort of punishment and or and or reward. I prefer to think of punishment uh, for how we how we fare in this. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think that's a good idea. But I do think I, I did find what I think the punishment is going to be in our other league. I got one of those flags that you have to hang in your car that says I'm terrible. Actually, it said something else, but it's I'm terrible at, at fantasy football. I think that's going to be the punishment for the what does it league. say. Uh, rather not say I got in trouble last week because my man David Havens put something nasty on his steak rub come on havens you're killing me man oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> fortunately we did not get sent into hr uh for your f-bomb violation uh on this very podcast uh so that's quite a right uh, i'm very much looking forward to those fantasy drafts it should be great fun we will come up with very good punishments or rewards for that all right that's gonna do it for this edition golf channel podcast with rex and lab make sure you go to golfchannel.com for all of my news notes features analysis commentary videos podcasts Whatever else I'll be doing from Olympia Fields, who really knows at this point. Rex will have a well-deserved week at home before we both reunite next week. The grand finale tour championship at Eastlake. You'll be there early week. I'll be there once, you know, the ball's actually in the air. All right. That's going to do it. Thanks for listening this week. Shout out Haven's 100 Hole Challenge. got another day of NBA action. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.